Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Good morning and uh, welcome back to American Tennis and Merry Christmas and uh, God bless all of you out there who are, uh, golly, I mean, what what can I say about what we've been through, folks, in this last uh, two years? But tennis, the, the the one thing I'm going to throw this in from the start, the one thing that is great is that the number of people picking up tennis is growing, and uh, people have to do things. Tennis and golf, they're outdoor sports. Nobody's afraid of the virus, and so they're growing. But uh, this is American tennis, and I am back, and I will be having more programs now and we're going to start weekly doing the program again i've just got to do those things that are interesting to all the folks out there and uh want to try to keep up with stuff as much as we can and the stuff that is current and we all have the same mission we all have the same duty we all have the same calling and that is to what grow the game i mean that was always the go-to thing Grassroots tennis grow the game, but we basically owe tennis, the sport of tennis, the lifestyle of tennis, tennis itself, and all that is good and noble about it, we owe it to the sport of tennis to do what we can to uh, move it forward and and try to, I I hate the word relevant, make it relevant or what, whatever. It will survive long after our little methods and our systems and everything that we uh, think that are so very, very important, our programs around the sport of tennis is going to survive. The other thing is this. I want to, you know, I always sort of say it straight up the way it is, uh, but daggone it, you know, nobody owns the sport of tennis. People can run programs. They can uh, introduce tennis. They can run organizations, but nobody owns the sport of tennis. It is unique. It is something that we honor. Uh, the history and the heritage are so great, but we've got to uh, protect the history and, and the heritage 
of the sport. And I'll talk about that here in a second. But I'm Coach Chuck Creasy, and uh, I'm staying as busy as I can with the tennis and teaching young folks and working with college kids and trying to figure out a way, folks, to uh, really, really get some information out uh, I don't want to go into this too long because our program will be short today. But I've had people say, "Oh no, no, you, you've got to get on this, uh, get on the YouTube, and you've got to get programs out there. You've got to get podcasts out there, and all these things." And I've been doing uh, American Tennis Program. We started, folks, Jan, June second, two thousand twelve. So we're coming up on our tenth anniversary. So we've got. To, I'm going to hang in there and make sure make it ten years for sure. But um, anyhow, we've got a good program. Listen, it's our Christmas program, and uh, the Christmas present we need to give everyone out there is to help some other people learn the sport of tennis. But I want to talk about uh, a topic that I've been pushing a lot uh, over the last year and a half to two years, really, and that's what to try to name claim and tame name them claim them tame them listen we don't name it blame it or name it rearrange it and then blame it let's name it claim it tame it but the sleeping giants of usa tennis in the intro i put here i wrote down that look we've got the talent we've got plenty of talent out there we've got great facilities okay we've got the coaching is the best in the world, absolutely. So, you know what, you know what's going on, and what do we need to do to awaken the sleeping giants of uh, American tennis? And that's what we'll we'll try to discuss. And I know everybody's concerned about the numbers. And one of the things that has been brought up to me this last month, probably by four or five different individuals, they're very very concerned that. Instead of allowing pickleball and these other racket sports to sort of uh, develop their own style and their own way and their own sport, uh, we're sort of trying to bring those all under the umbrella of racket sports. I do not know if that's a good idea or not. We'll have to wait and see if that's a great idea. Uh, but the bottom line, tennis is uh, tennis is the classical music of the bunch class the classical art tennis is the class of all of the other sports and i really don't like uh, <clears throat> it's like when you put too many ornaments on a christmas tree it just sort of botches things up well we'll, we'll wait and see if you know bringing pickleball on board and these other racket sports <clears throat> is going to help to cause it all but the uh and i, I want to be kind here but the bureaucracy of these tennis organizations, the USTA, the ITA, and all those things, they have one purpose and one purpose in mind, and that is to sustain themselves and to grow. <clears throat> now, if tennis is healthy, they really won't need the rest of these other sports. But uh, I, they, I think they think that tennis is not that healthy right now. And there's reasons why they would think that with without – the number of American champions uh, recently that we really rightfully need, rightfully, I hate to say, deserve. Maybe we haven't done the work that other people have done. 
<clears throat> but there are sleeping giants, so let's get going on the sleeping giants because we really, we absolutely need very much to uh, take into consideration um, these sleeping giants because these are holes that are uh, that are there. These are holes in the amount of people that continue to play. So uh, I've got a couple callers here. I'll get to the lines here in a, in a minute, in a few minutes, but I want to want to go on and talk about this here in a second. But I want to, uh, first of all, <clears throat> tell a quick story. In about 19, early 1980s, I had the great privilege of sitting on a panel up in Chicago with a bunch of USTA people, and I was uh, the National Junior Davis Cup coach at the time, and I was doing all that traveling stuff and, and doing all those things and uh, doing just nonstop uh, activities and uh, becoming a human doing instead of a human being. Uh, but the great Arthur Ashe was on the, in this committee, and they were talking about the same situation, how do they grow the game. And I asked him outright, with all, all the experience that you have, I said, where is where do we need the growth? Where is the lapse? Where Where is the real, real need? He said, it's level two. Okay, level two, what he said was, it's the level when player people get tra- uh, transition from playing tennis to being a tennis player. He said it's level two. When they play the game and then they say, oh, I want to be good at this. I, somebody used the comparison, I think, in the room. It wasn't him that said, uh, it's sort of like bowling. There are thousands of people that bowl now and then, but they never become bowlers. And I understood what they were talking about, level two, as far as getting the hook in the mouth. I always believed that the big uh, fall off was right after college. We had so many hundreds and hundreds of talented and very strong tennis players playing college tennis, but then they ended up just dropping the sport. And that is one of the sleeping giants that I'm going to talk about here. But um, the point I wanted to make is that what the USTA needs, what the United States of America needs, what the United States of America needs through the help of USTA, through the help of uh, college tennis, through the help of any of the organizations that are and I wanted to say this, no one owns tennis. No one owns tennis. Tennis will be around a lot longer than the USTA or any, any organization. We should be servants of the sport of tennis. We do not own the sport. But the point is, is that what they can do to help out is get people to make the transition and this is what they're concerned with. They're concerned with making the transition from somebody who casually plays and say, wow, this is a neat sport, to the place where they say, hey, I want to become a tennis player. Now, the sport is a tough sport. It's hard. It's like trying to learn to play the piano, classical music on the piano. Once you want to be a tennis player, you can fiddle around with the piano, but once you want to be good at it, it takes a, full, it takes a big commitment. Uh, I usually tell youngsters that it's as hard as learning to play the violin. You really have got to be engaged with this. So what happens is when it gets hard, a lot of times people drop out. 
when when it, when the going gets tough, you know, the tough get going and all that. We know all those things. But the bottom line on the thing, it is a sport that you must have a taste for, a love for, and you must enjoy it to the place where you look at it more as an art form. By the way, I had a couple junior players I uh, got to spend time with this past weekend, and I sat down with my daughter and we watched Searching for Bobby Fisher on TV, and I on and I think that any of you parents out there that need a movie to learn exactly what tennis is, or you coaches out there that are listening, get every one of your parents to watch the old movie Searching for Bobby Fisher. It's a great education. But one of the lines, I always get great lines from movies. There, I love that movie. I love the movie Ford versus Ferrari about competitive tennis. It's that's about racing. But, boy, it has a lot of similarities to the sport of tennis. And that's a different program, folks. I won't go there. But searching for Bobby Fischer, uh, really the line that he used was, it's much more It's much more than just a game. It's much more than just a casual thing. He, the, the whole what I'm getting out of the movie more and more was not just the relationship of the father and the parents and the youngster, what he went through, but the different levels that the chess was played at from casual, just fun, to something you do with your family or your kids, to the people who, what they would call the putts, the potses, I guess, that played uh, in the park, to people who really took it seriously. And I think tennis could be compared to the game of chess in some ways, but you have to develop a love for it. So let's get on to the sleeping giants of USA Tennis. I wanted to talk, first of all, very quickly, and I'm going to go quickly here because our program is short, and I want to get to the callers we have on there. Hang on there, uh, area code 678 there. Uh, But the the caller uh, probably has something to add, but I I want to get through a few of these first. As a college coach, 22 and and over, I've already mentioned it uh, before, but so many hundreds of kids play through high school and then they get to go to college and if there's a place for them to go um, now it's pretty much folks hate to tell you it's 70 to 80 percent international students as you know but if you get to play at a d3 school or a junior college or a power five conference or something it is amazing to me how many people just quit playing tennis and partly there is nothing that USTA, listen to me if you're listening, you need to have great events at a, at a second level other than just a high professional level for people 22 to 35 years old because most players are not ready to hang up the racket, but there's really just nothing for you to do. So 22, 22 and above, some type of events would keep you going. All right, let me let me throw this in, and I'm going to go there very quickly. The 60 and overs, the 60 pluses, everybody says they're going to pickleball. All you have to do is go down to one of those resort uh, retirement resort places in Florida or wherever. Everybody's playing pickleball. The tennis courts were empty the last time I went there. Now, why? The symmetry of the sport's been screwed up for old people. Let's face it, you can't play singles after 60, 65 years old because you can't run. Your movement, the ball striking, overcomes the movement. And you cannot, you cannot play tennis singles 
and enjoy it with high-tech rackets. Listen to me very quickly here. When they changed the rackets in the early 1980s from wood rackets to these high-tech rackets, according to the great Vic Braden, ball striking went, this is one of his statistics, from 2.1 seconds excuse me, from 3.9 seconds to your opponent and back. That means two seconds over, two seconds back. That's about 30 miles an hour, and I'm not going to go through the whole way I've figured this out uh, mathematically, but it's about 30 miles an hour. Immediately it went to nearly about two seconds or 2.1 seconds per rally. It went to 60 miles an hour rallies from 30 to 60, but you can imagine if you're playing senior tennis and the ball's coming 20 miles an hour, then all of a sudden it's going 40 miles an hour. Well, now that symmetry's screwed up, so you're trying to dance a waltz to disco music, or you're trying to dance, slow dance, to, uh, and you're having to play uh, daggone rap music, and it's, the symmetry is screwed up. So uh, I, there's a couple things. I had Ed Crass on the program one time with his one-on-one doubles. Uh, I think seniors can still play good doubles because they only have to cover half the court, but, but especially women's tennis because they, they do quite a good job. The symmetry, they can't overhit the ball, but your weekend warrior male players get out there and they pulverize the balls and they don't stay in the long rally, So, but it screws up the symmetry. Here's the solution, USTA. I caught, listen, folks, I'm, I'm hacked off. I'm not going to say it the other way, but I'm hacked off. I made three, two calls to actually three down to USTA, talked to someone I knew, one of my former players, and he gave me the number. The other person runs senior tennis, and I sent them three emails. They never got back to me, which pisses me off. It never got back to me. But I look, I see tennis every day. I've seen it for 51 years. I've taught it. I've been in it for 58 years. And they ought to at least return my call. They ought to at least, daggone it, you guys, come on, send me an email. I'm not, I, I don't care if I don't know anything, I don't know what I'm talking about. You ought to listen anyway. But I do know what I'm talking about. The symmetry got screwed up. So here's what they did. They figured this out with the little kids, didn't they? They tried to make smaller courts and smaller rackets and all that to accommodate little kids. Well, the symmetry is the critical thing. It's not the dimensions of the court, and it's not necessarily the weight of the – it's the symmetry. So you're not, they're not going to – there's three things. There's the racket, there's the ball, and there's the court. They're not going to change the rackets back because they let the manufacturers screw it up. Golf – Sort of brought road. They brought sort of brought in the balls, the the liveliness of the balls, and things. And so their big Berthas didn't screw up golf too bad. And you still have to chip and putt. But in tennis, it screwed up singles for sure, and most of the doubles for old people. So here's what you do: you need to use a ball that is sort of the same pressure as the green dot ball. But understand something: adults. Men are not going to use the green dot kitty ball. They're just not going to do it. If I'm I'm at a certain age right now and I played basketball when I was young, and if there's a 10-foot goal and an 8-foot goal side by side, I'm not going to use the 8-foot goal. I don't care if I have to shoot underhanded again to get the ball up to the 10-foot goal. I'm not going to be humiliated using the kitty ball. Not going to do it. But 
you guys should have been smart enough. How about the gold standard ball? Not the gold dot ball, the gold standard ball, or something like that. You use a different kind of ball that just goes slower. You gear down the stringing or something, or you you have a 60 and over racket, a special type of racket where you bring the symmetry back up. That's, that's how you get the people back into uh, tennis after 60. So over 22, 60 and overs. All right, Small Town Tennis USA, and I'm going to go quickly. I've covered this on a whole program before. Small Town Tennis USA. Would you believe 74% of all the professional athletes in the United States come from towns of less than 50,000 people? They do not come from just inner city. Towns of 50,000 or less. Why? Because in small towns, usually sports, Football, basketball, baseball is all that you have going on. And kids want to get up, move out. They want to step up, get it done, and move out. They want to, and, and so what happens, the kids want to achieve in something, sports, football, basketball become big deals. And here's, here's the thing. The problem is is that tennis is a hard sport. So a lot of times in small towns, you don't have a teaching pro there because the teaching pros want to go to the country clubs and big cities and make big money. Small Town Tennis USA has been my uh, idea for the past 10 years with a man named Dan Vonk from South Georgia, high school coach. Over 10 years ago, we thought up this and we just said, look, and we went to one of our tennis organizations and presented it, and they didn't quite see the relevance. But what you would do is you would take the small colleges around the state of South Carolina or Georgia or Florida, and you get the players who are nine, seven, eight, nine, ten on the team, or even five, six, who love tennis and want to learn how to teach tennis. So what you do, you can certify them if you want to with one of those uh, licenses where they get insurance. USPTR or something like that, and you what you do is you talk to a community center in small towns that hey I've got two guys here, and they how about giving them a job for a couple hundred bucks a week, and uh, you know we've got this up and coming, but they can go there and just get the program going and teach. That's how most of us in the old days got going. My first job was $2 an hour in the Indianapolis Park Department. I made 20 hours a week. I made uh, 20 hours a week. Actually, I did 40. I did a country club 20 hours a week, made $40 a week a year after that. But I made $80 a week, and it was a great deal, but mainly the experience you get, room board, Room board experience is the best job you could ever have when you're younger, and most of you are saying it's not even worth doing. But Small Town Tennis USA, there's a way to do it. We've got to awaken that sleeping giant. High school tennis. High school tennis right now is um, Texas is about the only place that I've ever seen high school tennis that is really, really good. Florida used to have great high school tennis uh, teams. But Texas does it right. What they do is they their season is individual season in the fall, and it's a team season in the spring. I'm sorry. It's a team season in the fall and an individual season in the spring. It's the reverse of what college does. 
That makes a lot of sense. If we did this in college, we'd be much, much better off. Because in the fall, we could have a short team season for men and for women. In the spring, you have an individual tournament season, a tournament season for men and for women or for boys and for girls. You'd have four sports instead of just two. Athletic directors would like that. Your numbers would go up. Players could play both seasons, one of the seasons, or none of the seasons. That you know, one or the other. But it would be a great thing for dual sport athletes as well. They could maybe run cross country in the fall and play tennis in the spring. Those those type of things. So we've really botched this up. Now, the biggest reason we've botched up high school tennis is the abbreviated scoring which we have in college as well abbreviated scoring does irreparable harm to the development of the tennis player you are teaching that chess player how to play checkers and play uh, street ball instead of learning how to play the game of tennis Uh, the worst thing we could have ever done is do abbreviated scoring I want to say this, you know, as one of the sleeping giants also is college tennis. In USA, we've got to get to the place where we get primarily American players. Not running down anybody that's from a different country, but absolutely American colleges were primarily supposed to be for American players. It is not uh, taking the tax money and spending it to everybody in the world. It's okay that you say, well, the foreign players are better. Coaches will say that. Well, that, first of all, that's not not necessarily true. I think it's pretty much something that uh, it became a trend. It's easier for somebody to recruit somebody off the computer from a different country than it is to go through the work of recruiting American kids. And I really have a disagreement here with many many coaches. But we need to recruit American kids first. And uh, that would be the primary thing, and and uh, it's not a slam on anybody else. We need to buy American, hire American, recruit American, and if we're going to be the U.S. of A. and a sovereign country, we need to take care of our American kids first, and then if you have to, you can go to the foreign kids. Um, recruiting, I know there's five categories. Your parents out there, you have first liners, second liners, in late late bloomers, um, <laughs> some coach one coach told me one time when you recruit, you have uh, job keepers, difference makers, or championship takers. You've got to find a championship takers. Well, a lot of people, it's very hard to recruit just you know the championship takers. You have to develop them. Again, the, the sleeping giant of college tennis and high school tennis is that the rules and the regulations are prohibitive of the hard worker. Hear me out now. Hard workers no longer are able to make a difference. As a coach, it's more important who you recruit for college or get on a high school level than to work with people and to develop them. And this is completely wrong to the whole whole system of developmental Uh, the developmental process of our young people and our athletes. And if they're student-athletes, if they're student-athletes, listen, (laughs) if people excel in school, let them do anything they want to do. Don't put restrictions 
on a college athlete, if if it's really, really, I've asked people who are high up and in leadership positions, is it really about, is it really about academics? Is it really about academics? They always said, of course. Well, then if you've got a, you're an honor student, a 3.2, or if you're a 3.1 or 3.5 or something, tell the players you can practice all you want. Let, let them do what they need to do. That way you reward achievement. Right now they have a lock or a, no, a governor on the engine of all college players because they only allow them 20 hours a week, 24 weeks a year, 400. Are you kidding me? 25 matches a year? 25 matches a year? You've got to be kidding me. I know junior players that play 25 matches in every six weeks. It's it's laughable to think that we can create great players anymore out of college, the college situation, if we're not recruiting American kids. Secondly, if you're only getting to practice 20 hours a week, that, that includes meetings and weights and everything, give me a break. Junior players do way more than that. I used to work at a junior development program up in Maryland, and there was a college team that trained at the same place. Well, the kids who were 14, 15, 16 working, were working twice as hard as the college kids. Now, you can see that that's not going to develop many players if that happens. Also, June, okay, get rid, getting rid of abbreviated scoring is a must. The consequences of playing that uh, quick system are so many. I've covered it so many times on the program. But... Absolutely, positively, without a doubt, abbreviated scoring, handicaps, stunts the growth, ruins the development, ruins the development of college players or your junior players. It's like playing arena football, and it's it's just it's just very very poor. Now we've covered a lot of things. I, I want to want to get to a few points here as we close. As the program has got to wind down our, our Christmas program, and I um, I wanted to say that the most important sleeping giant in USA tennis is you. Every one of us, every one of us has a responsibility. If you're listening to this program. That means you like tennis a lot, you either play tennis, you coach tennis, you're a parent of someone, but we all have the responsibility to lead others, youngsters, friends, old people, young people. We need to lead other people into this sport. Most of the reason why we're throwing stuff against the wall and it's not sticking is I really believe this. I'm going to challenge you, USDA. Again, you do not honor the sport by protecting the history and the heritage of our game. I'm very, very disappointed in the in the uh, facility down there that you guys built. It, it's all a bureaucracy type thing, but I thought when I walked in there for the first time, I said, "And I, this is not look. I know you're spending all this money and you're trying to do things. You have well-meaning people and great people that are working there, but I said, whoa, wait a minute. I've been to, you know, Wimbledon, French Open, these these places. Uh, I've been. I mean, come on, up there in 
Rhode, Rhode Island, where the Hall of Fame is, and 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 all of these there's facilities. What about Augusta Golf? Wait a minute, Augusta Golf. What what about St Andrews and golf? What about these places that have history and heritage? When you walk in there, you are just in awe because you're in the presence of history and heritage. And I'm very sorry to say this, but <clears throat> you don't have that feeling when you walk into the tennis center down there at the uh, at the Lake Lake Nona. You don't have that feeling. It, it feels sterile. And I don't know how better to say that because I know that most of those guys down there do not listen to me. They won't return phone calls. They, they won't uh, email back. I, I wish no harm on anyone. I just have been in the sport for so long. I love this sport. I love what it does. I love the teaching. But it, 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 it's, it's awful that it's, it's sterile like that. And I won't use the analogy that one of my former players gave me about what it reminds him of, but but maybe need to think about that. And in the end, if, unless you have the history and the heritage protected in the sport, it's very, very hard for people to get excited about it. But the biggest sleeping giant, the absolute biggest sleeping giant, is every one of us. And we say what needs to be said. Address issues, not people. You can address organizations. Okay? It, there's nothing sacred about, you know, you address an organization, a club, a, a bureaucracy or something. You know, it's like addressing big company like a Ford or, you know, you, I can address the USTA or thing. It's not a slam on the people, but it is a slam on a bureaucracy that does not put people first. The game is to be protected. The history and the heritage and all of the great things about the game needs to be protected and honored. And if it doesn't touch your heart, it doesn't matter how good you might get down there running 85 tournaments and and having fancy restaurants and having... Uh, things in order and having a big office building that 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 that's all crap in the end it's all crap you you really need to touch people's hearts but honor the game and it will honor you if we all honor the game and we all help others learn the sleeping giant other stuff will take care of itself maybe we get something done with the seniors maybe we get the symmetry back for seniors Maybe we get tournaments for 22- to 35-year-olds. Maybe we can do something for small towns in America instead of just only focusing. USTA, you only focus on inner-city stuff. But baloney, don't do that. You need to focus on the small towns if you want to really make greatness out there. Now, you know, hey, inner-city is important, but so are small towns. High school tennis is a big sleeping giant. So many great facilities in high school and so many kids playing tennis, but it's a waste if you play no-ad scoring, six-game sets in short seasons, and you don't, you know, and look, we need, we need to uh, study you know, Texas high school tennis where they actually develop players down there. And college tennis, folks, oh, my gosh, I've been in tennis, college tennis 44 years now. Hope the good Lord lets me be in it a few more. and But I'm going to hang in there and keep working and keep battling. 
and uh, work towards college tennis. We need Americans. We need more Americans playing. I didn't say anything about toward foreigners, international players. We need Americans playing American college tennis. Guess what? We need to play real tennis, not arena tennis. Guess what? We need to be able to practice. Don't tell me baseball gets 64 games a year and tennis gets 25. Are you kidding me? Why, why, why is that? Why is that? Football moving up, if they play the playoffs, you're going to have teams playing 17 football games. You think that really is for the welfare of the academics of the student? There's another agenda. And college tennis ain't where it's at as far as development players if, if we keep this up. Biggest thing is, guys, everybody out there listening, your responsibility. Grab that youngster. Grab a, uh, an adult. Get him to a tennis court. Get him to fall in love with tennis, especially now that we've got such a crazy, crazy environment going on with businesses closed and the virus stuff is going on get them on the tennis court it's a big opportunity uh, it's, it's a huge opportunity and um, god bless each and every one of you in this christmas season and uh you know just uh let's count our blessings one by one by one and let, let's uh try to make american tennis the greatest in the world again we can do it and uh, remember, you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. It's just and I'll see you Come